You're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Ben Simmons riding in on his white horse to try to save the Nets. Is it doable? Is it possible? Well, Gordon and I will speak to somebody who's got his finger on the pulse of this Nets team. He has covered the team from day one. This season, he writes for the Daily News. He is a frequent contributor to the show. He is Christian Winfield. Christian, thanks for joining Gordon and I for a couple of minutes. Of course, man. Anytime. You know I love talking hoops with you. All right, Christian. Um, why, why, why not game three instead of four? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, at, at this point, you know, the Nets are still trying to be a little bit cautious with Ben. You got to remember, backs are very, very tricky. And they're trying to buy him as much time. And, hey, they're hoping that, you know, little game-to-game adjustments can help this team win on a bigger scale. You know, you got to think back to game one, which is only decided by one point, and game two, which, as ugly as it looked on the floor in terms of how the loss folded out, if they win game three, if they lose game three, no matter what, if Ben Simmons is coming back in game four, you got to remember he hasn't played in going on 11 months and the last time he played, he was in that high-pressure situation against the Atlanta Hawks, and we remember how that panned out, right? But at the end of the day, if you're able to get anything, whether it's 15 or 20 minutes on the floor from a guy who's an all-world defender, from a guy who's able to push the pace, we still don't know what he's going to If he's even 100%, probably not. We're probably getting something like a 75 to 80% Ben Simmons at this point. But if you're getting a player of his caliber even at 80%, that is an addition that this team can welcome when you consider they need someone who's going to be able to guard Jason Tatum. They need someone who's going to be able to help fight on the glass. And they need someone who's going to, above all else, help this team win games. And they still believe even at 80% he can help them. Christian, it's Gordon Damer. Um, I, look, there's a lot that can still happen here. Nets win game three. All of a sudden, the series is flipped. But just in terms of Ben Simmons, like where do you put the odds of him still being on this team next year? Uh, that, that's an interesting question. Um I'd like to think that he's someone that this franchise would build around when you consider what they gave up for him. Remember, it's not just they gave up James Harden. They gave up what would have been Karis LeVert, Jared Allen. They they forfeited Spencer Dinwiddie being on the roster. You had Torian Prince. You gave up draft compensation. Ben Simmons is the highlight now of that deal where you sent out all your youth and your draft picks. So at this point, if you've got Kevin Durant under contract for the next five or so years, and you're talking about re-signing Kyrie Irving potentially as well, you keep Ben Simmons unless you know you see something out there. I don't know. I don't even know what's out there that would be worth trading a 100% Ben Simmons. And that's where we have to see. We have to see exactly how healthy he is, where his, where his mindset is. Uh, I think he's a player worth building around for the future. It just really depends on how healthy his back is at this point. Now, Christian, we'll we'll get to the performances of Kevin Durant, which is just unbelievable. That in the first two games, we'll get to yeah. that in a second. But why is Steve Nash coming under all this criticism, Christian? Nobody confused him as being a brilliant basketball tactician, as far as a coach is concerned. <laughs> when he got this job, <laughs> oh man, you know it, it, it's. I don't want to say he's a scapegoat because there has been such a huge drop off in where Ime Udoka is in terms of his coaching style and where Steve Nash is in terms of his ability or inability to make adjustments to what Ime Udoka has done. But the comparison is right there. Ime Udoka was an assistant under Steve Nash. He was an assistant under Greg Popovich for seven years. Then he went and worked with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, for that matter, in Philadelphia before taking the assistant job in Brooklyn. It's, you have to 
draw the parallel because it makes you wonder what happens if the Nets hire an Ime Udoka or hire a head coach that has actual coaching history. Maybe he hasn't been a head coach, but he's been an assistant under somebody like Greg Popovich that's done it for a while. You know, that's that's where it is, you know. And, and it takes you back to the franchise decision to hire Steve Nash in the first place. This is a guy who had no prior head coaching experience, no prior assistant coaching experience. His experience was as a player development consultant with the Golden State Warriors. And, yes, of course, he worked with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, absolutely. But he didn't lead those guys on a nightly basis. He wasn't in the trenches. The last time he was in the trenches, he was a player. So we're kind of seeing all that experience or the lack of experience play out and, of course, people are going to talk about it. You're watching Kevin Durant. I've never seen Kevin Durant look helpless like this against any type of defense. And you're looking at your head coach, hey, come up with something to get this guy some open looks. And it hasn't been working. So, yeah, there's a lot of criticism. I mean, he's got to bring his A game in game three. Otherwise, the Nets could be staring at a 3 at a three nothing deficit. You mentioned that Steve Nash was not you know, a traditional head coach when he got the job. Do you think that if the Nets were to lose this series as the way it's going right now, that in the offseason that they would not just move to get a different head coach, but maybe a more traditional head coach? Would the stars of the Nets uh, be amenable to that? You know, I, I think at a certain point you start to look at everything because not everything is Steve Nash's fault. This roster was flawed from the jump. That's on the front office. When you talk about redundancy of positions, you had Bruce Brown, DeAndre Bembry, and James Johnson all on the same team. And those are all guys who fit the same profile. On top of that, you've got a roster that has five centers. You've got LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, Nick Claxton, Andre Drummond, and then you drive De'Ron Sharp with a first-round pick. This roster has a lot of, of, of redundancy across it. And then on top of that, you wave a guy like James Johnson who maybe you could use specifically in a series like this where you need size and you need playmaking and you need defense. You wave a guy like James Johnson who was playing pretty poorly at the end of the season, we'll call a spade a spade, but you wave him for to, to convert the rookie Kessler Edwards into a two way from a two way deal into a regular into a standard contract and you're only playing the rookie about four minutes, three minutes a game. So you kind of you're not really getting that even exchange from from waving James Johnson. On top of that, you still got Blake Griffin and Lamarcus Aldridge on the roster, and you're not playing either of them. So yes, there's Steve Nash, and Steve Nash deserves some of the blame here. But at the same time, you got to look at the hand he was dealt. So everyone's going to look at hey, you had Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden on the same roster, and yes, I agree with that. Kyrie Irving came in at the beginning of the year. It was the front office's decision not to let him play road games at the beginning of the year when he was ineligible to play at home. You knew he wasn't vaccinated, and you put him on the shelf basically the first half of the season. And then you've got Kevin Durant going down with an injury. James Harden's not wanting to be here. It's kind of just been like a perfect storm or an imperfect storm, if you will, of things that just haven't gone right for the Nets. And um, I I think if, if the Nets end up getting swept or losing here in five, I think anything's on the table because... You've got to make some significant changes if you're going to write the ship next season. Kristen Winfield's our guest covers the Nets for the Daily News. You're listening to ESPN New York tonight. Larry Hardesty, Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. Christian, um, is it Celtics defense? Is it fatigue? What is going on with Kevin Durant? I mean, callers are, callers are calling in. We've seen his shot blocked. I can't tell you how many times I've seen the shot blocked in his career. It's like three times in two games. Yeah. I mean, number one, give credit to Jason Tatum. Give credit to Ime Udoka. Give credit to Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown. That entire out worker is out there. Every every Celtics player that's on the floor is attempting to guard Kevin Durant at the same time. You're setting two or three bodies at him. 
when he has the ball, when he doesn't have the ball, they're making life very difficult. And on top of that, they're just being physical. They're putting hands on him. They're hitting him every time. He's making action moves towards the ball or trying to get the ball. And then as soon as he gets the ball, if he puts the ball on the floor, you're seeing two or three guys running at him trying to get the ball out of his hands. you got to remember, this is not a Nets team that has learned to win as a team per se. This team has played through Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving all season long. So when you get the ball out of their hands, you get a game like we had in, in game two where you've got 22 from Bruce Brown, you've got 16 from Goran Dragic, another 14 from Seth Curry. But if you're not getting that firepower from KD, from Kyrie, I think that's kind of going to be the result that we see. So part of it is on KD, right? You know, he missed a lot of makeable shots. He's missed shots that we've seen him make, whether there's a hand in his face or not. We've seen him make that shot over the course of his career. I'm just talking about regular pull-up mid-range jump shots over a defender with a hand. He's hit some of those, and he's missed a bunch of them this series. The other part of it is, like we said, we need to see Steve Nash try to draw up some new plays, find different ways for KD to get the ball without having to create you know, isolation possessions. You know, like a lot of times it's just KD getting the ball, having to make a move, or he's swinging the ball to Kyrie, and now it's Kyrie's turn. And this is why it's tough, because this is a team that's still building. You know, you have the James Harden trade in the middle of the season. Some of these guys are still learning how to play with Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. These guys are still trying to figure it out. And now you're telling me in game four, in an elimination game, they're going to welcome Ben Simmons into that mix and try to figure it out on the fly with him against this Celtics team. I don't know how it's going to work. If it is going to work, it starts with Kevin Durant being that guy we all know who can average 35 to 40 on any night. Christian, we're talking about Kevin Durant and the struggles that he's had so far in the, in the first two games. Uh, I, I think that a large part of it was game two, the officiating. I'm not saying that the Nets lost as a result of the officiating, but to say that the, the defense was on the highly aggressive side, would you be surprised if it were uh, the game were called differently in, in game three uh, for the Nets in Brooklyn? Um. That's an interesting question. I don't think so. We're in the playoffs. You know, the Celtics are a team, they play like this, you know, and you you can't just completely throw an entire set of, like, I guess, officiating out of the window when you think that a team has been maybe not the benefactor of the whistle. I mean, this is how the Celtics play. The Celtics are going to play aggressive, and the Nets have to match that. If there's no, I don't think they're going to be saved by the whistle. I don't think they should be saved by their own willpower and Bruce strength. They've got to step up. That's why we might see a guy like a Blake River play in game three, because the Nets need that size. They saw it after game one when the Celtics out-rebounded them by 13, out-offensive rebounded them by, what, like nine? It was nine. You need that size. You need guys who are going to be out there to be physical, set screens, to set, to get Kevin Durant free. That's why you need a guy like Blake Griffin. That's why you need a guy like James Johnson. James Johnson was the dribble handoff master for this team. Now you lose that. That's another set of, generated, of generating offense that you lose for a guy in Kessler Edwards who's not even really playing very many minutes. So I think the officiating maybe has a little bit to do with it. With Kevin Durant put a lot 20 times in game two and the 18 of the three guys, and that's where he got most of his points. Um, but it's going to come down to A, KD being great, hitting those shots that we know he can hit. B, the Nets just stepping up to the challenge and being more physical against this team. Uh, and C, Steve Nash is going to have to pull something up from up his sleeve or wherever he's got his notes down because uh, the Celtics team, Emil Doka, is proving himself to be a Coach of the Year candidate right now, and he's just outclassing Steve Nash every time he gets. Christian, last one for me. Um, I know it's only 2-0. It seems like 4-0 already just because of how the Nets have looked as far as you know, just the frustration that you see on Durant and game two was yeah. not Kyrie Irving that we saw in game one. 
how deeply in trouble is this Nets team? I mean, clearly they've got two of the best scorers in the in the NBA, two of the most talented players who could easily come in and turn things around and make this series go the other way. Uh, how how deep in trouble is this team, and what happens if they lose in the first round? You know, it's tough, right? Because I, on my way home, on my flight home from Boston to to Brooklyn. Uh, after the game, I saw about four or five Celtics fans on my plane, which means, okay, they're going to Brooklyn, which means they're going to game three. And we know that that's what Barclays Center has traditionally been. You know, you've got your your section of Nets fans who are diehard, but the rest of that arena can sometimes, I think back to when Steph Curry came, I think back to when the Miami Heat came, when Luka Doncic came, you've got fans from opposing teams coming there making Barclays Center sound like their own home arena, I think that's what we're going to see in game three. There's no real home court advantage in Brooklyn, and that's unfortunate because the Celtics bleed green. Celtics fans bleed green. We know that. They're going to be in the building. So it's going to be tough. Not only are the Nets going to have to deal with the Celtics and their, their length and their defense and Jason Tatum, those Celtics fans are going to travel. So I, I don't know how that's going to help them. I think the only thing they're going to be able to do is really just find ways to get I, I I hate being repetitive here, but it really boils down to Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant shoots better in the first game, I think they win that game. If Kevin Durant shoots better in game two, I think they win that game as well. So at the end of the day, if they're unable to win some of these games, one of these games at least and you're going into game four down three zero, we know what the what history says about that. So uh this is a must win for, for the Nets tomorrow. I don't think there's any situation where if they win or they lose game three we're looking at game four it might not even be worth bringing Ben Simmons back to game four if you're down three zero because we know what history says about that type of game Christian Winfield continue your great work in the daily news we'll keep reading you as this series goes on hopefully things turn around you get a nice long series my friend (laughs) I hope so too man I hope so too appreciate you you're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. 